Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear magazine's editor, joined by a slightly haggard-looking Rowan Horncastle. Dishevelled. Dishevelled, that's a better word. Have you been up... Been up late again? Yeah, no, no party, no hangovers. We've we've we're fresh off a ten-hour drive from the Czech Republic in a Morgan three-wheeler for yeah. the next issue, Speed Week. So I'm a bit tired. All right, I'll give you a bit of leeway. Um, but this month, we're not discussing Speed Week. We're asking whether AMG's F1 engine hypercar, the AMG One, actually works. Why is Aston Martin struggling again? And we pay a visit to the Freak Show. But first, Rowan. What's on your mind? Many things. Your adult little mind. Yes, but driving that Morgan, I had lots of time to think. <laughs> and I was thinking about barbershops. Right. Right. Have you been past? You, it's a big trend nowadays. I'm seeing more and more. For the children to get their hair cut, they're always in baby cars now. Oh, they're, yeah. That are like mini LaFerraris from China or Chiron's whatever. Yeah. But they're always knockoffs. Mm-hmm. But they do keep the kids entertained. They can toot the horn you know, play with the wheel while getting, you know, a three on the side or a fade. Why don't car manufacturers produce their own? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked, Rowan, because I have first-hand experience of this. I've taken my three-year-old down to the barber at the end of the road. Platform barbers, Streatham Hill, always sort me out. Uh, And they've got what can only be described. It's sort of a red... Porsche, I think it's a Porsche. The stickers have long since Well, mel- Porsche are happy off. you don't really know what it is because yeah. it's definitely not a Porsche. It's a bit of a sort of car insurance advert generic car outline. But it's a sports car and it's red and Otis loves it and jumps into it and sits still remarkably for this stranger to cut his hair. No, but also off the back of like little car company doing a million quid uh, like small cars with engines, why don't people just get into the hairdressing game? Like, well, they will after hearing this, mate. There's money to be made. Definitely. What would you want? What would you if you were a three year old? What would you want to sit in to get your hair cut? Um, I mean, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? It needs to be a convertible, um, obviously, because <laughs> otherwise you're not going to be able to get to the hair. So probably just go with something simple like a Bugatti Mistral. Really? Ah, yeah. <laughs> news news <laughs> angles. Well, I just when I was a kid, I just wanted anything that looked. Well, basically, I'd want the Fast and Furious Supra, the the convertible Supra. Give me Paul Walker's Supra and. Nice. You, can, you can cut my hair into In any fact, shape wh- you want. Why on earth are we putting this out there? This should be our little business sideline, shouldn't exactly. it? Exactly. Or everyone else out there, let us know. Tweet us, email, comment, leave something a review that, you know, what would you like to get your hair cut in? But we're not here to discuss oh, those. Hang on, adult-sized on. ones. Why is, it, why is it just the kids that get to have fun? I have to sit there in my boring old black chair with my rope, you know, strangling me. Rope? What am I talking about? Uh, I don't know. The cloak. The, the cloak, cloak that they put around your neck too tight and you have to pretend that it's fine. Anyway, look, um, let's move on. What should we talk about? Let's talk about the issue. So the issue is a big one. It's a bumper one, and it's got quite the cover car on it, the mm-hmm. AMG one. But we're going to get to that later because there's been an influx of mental cars coming from every angle. And you were at Pebble Beach where a lot of stuff was displayed. Mm-hmm. Everything very expensive, everything very powerful. It feels like the end of the uh, naturally, well, the ICE moment. So everyone's going out with a giant bang. But... We've just had three really, really hardcore, crazy cars mm. announce the uh, G3 RS, the V10 single-seat McLaren, and the aerial hypercar. 
Uh, and I'd like to discuss those because I haven't been near any of them. I've just had to read about them in the magazine. But you and Ollie Marriage have been. Well, exactly. So. so just for the for the benefits of this, so what we did was we grouped these three mad, mad new supercars, hypercars, I don't know what you call them, you, but we've bundled them together in this single feature called, um, what is it? Freaks of Nature. That's the one. Um, because they are just getting wilder. And as the as the market gets more and more crowded... It feels like manufacturers are having to go to more and more extreme ends to get our attention and to snap up those, you know, billionaires that are looking for their next toy. So, um, well, the headlines from these ones are, you know, crazy wing downfall DRS, four buttons on the steering for the GT3 RS. The aerial hypercar has jet engines, EVs, various, the aero that I can't even get my head around because it looks like nothing else I've seen before. And then the McLaren is, you know, was built for a video game and now has been made real. So uh, exactly, and it doesn't have a V8 twin turbo in it. No, it's got a V10. Exactly. I didn't think I'd see the day that McLaren stepped outside their comfort zone, engine-wise. But um, look, the man who's uh, he's been on track with the McLaren Solus. I don't think they let him drive it yet, but he's been on a track while it's been going around, so we can talk about the he's noise. He's heard it. The, the noise that it makes, yeah. He's driven the aerial hypercar. I went to go and see the GTR, uh, G3 RS um, in Vysak, uh in one of the garages there, so I can chip in a bit with that. But let's get Ollie Marriage on the line to let us know what he knows. Yeah, another freak of nature. <laughs> Hello, Ollie. Are you there? I'm here, boys, yeah. Are you recovered from your marathon journey back from the Czech Republic? Uh, mostly. I slept for about 10 hours straight last night, feeling a bit brighter. <laughs> you, you certainly look brighter. But what we want to talk about is uh, this issue. Now, um, you had a bit of a month of it, didn't you? With your driving, well, you drove one of them and hung out with the other one on track. Um, the aerial hypercar and the McLaren Solus, these mad freaks of nature, these contraptions. We were sort of hypothesizing that uh, as the combustion engine comes to an end and as the market for high-end cars becomes more saturated, manufacturers are having to become more and more out there, more and more extreme with their ideas. And these two, it doesn't really get more extreme than this, does it? I don't think it does. No, that, I mean, I didn't drive the McLaren Solus, as you say. Um, I don't know if it's Solus or Solus. I'm going to go for Solus, actually, because it's a single-seater. <laughs> There so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I love it. It fits into that lineage with the Valkyrie and the AMG One. They've used Formula One as their sort of template, whereas the Solus uses sort of Le Mans prototypes. So they, well, a re- the whole idea of it is it's like a, it's a recreation of their Vision Gran Turismo car. But how they've got that into production, they couldn't do the lie on the tummy driving position and they couldn't give it well, they probably could have done if they spent a vast amount on it of doing electric motors for the front axle and twin turbo V8 for the back. But instead, what they've done is basically gone to gone shopping for Le Mans components and come back with a Judd 5.2 litre V10 with 840 horsepower and a straight cut sequential gearbox. So they've got this sort of wild Le Mans prototype single seater with a wraparound windscreen and a fighter jet canopy. And it's, yeah, it's barkers, obviously bonkers. It's just, well, track only. And um, have at it, basically. How but it also came out of nowhere. When you said, oh, mm. I'm going to Anglesey to go see a new McLaren, we thought, oh, right, it's going to be you know, Artura Spider or something like that. No, it's a V10 single-seat track-only car. We weren't yeah. expecting that whatsoever. I think, I think, yeah, I think of these sort of specials that everyone's doing 
um, sort of live and die on their initial impact. Because you mm. do, you kind of, you, you see the first pictures and you go, oh dear. Or you go, hello. Yeah, I like the sound <laughs> yeah. of this. That was a big hello moment because it, it just looks, it looks good. It um, does. But just so wild and sort of mm. like an insect, the way that it's, it's yeah, styled. And, uh, as you say, it came a bit out of nowhere. So I think the reason I think I got asked to, if we wanted to go along, because we had it as a complete world exclusive, was that I'd had a conversation with a boss at McLaren um, at Goodwood Festival of Speed last year when he said, when we got this conversation, I said, well, I think what's holding you back is the fact you're con- you're having to use a twin turbo V8, and even when you do the V6 hybrid, that'll be the engine that'll be the engine that goes in everything as well. So you're a bit hamstrung. He said, "Yeah, but what if we were to do a naturally aspirated engine?" I said, "Yeah, never happen." <laughs> and then, so I think they sort of took that and went, "Okay, well, yeah, let's see if we can get them involved." So yeah, I saw the car at Anglesey, but the week before that, I saw it in build where it's being built as a pro- as that first prototype. Um, and it's, you know, you see underneath it and it just, I mean, it is a racing car underneath completely bespoke carbon tub. Is it going to be else. faster than, um, so what's the, what's the wildest car, the fastest car McLaren done so far? Senna, Senna, Senna yeah. GTR? Senna yeah. GTR or P1 GTR. And it's, yeah, yeah, they're saying it'll be the fastest McLaren this side of Formula One, which means faster than the 720S GT3X and faster than all, than all their GT3 races as well. Blimey. how do you get yeah. into it? You slide the canopy forward and then you do a very undignified climb in over the sides and wiggle down. But once you're in it, the feeling is amazing because it's like being in a racing car where they've cleaned and tidied everything up. So they've given it full FIA spec safety inside, but you sit in this very um, sort of cleaned out open cockpit, well, not open cockpit, but it feels fantastic it's like looking through a secondary visor the windscreen sort of sits away from you and it just looks it's terrific sitting in it but also uh, ollie you went over you skirted over very quickly um initially the original concept for this car driving position wise Mm. wise for the game was to lie on your stomach and then having the steering wheel in front of you which is mad the the accident that you could have in a superman position (laughs) in 200 miles (laughs) down the le mans straight i think you basically just need an escape hatch if you had a some sort of impact a hatch that opens in the front of the car and you just shoot out like a rocket with some sort of parachute on your back (laughs) but i'm not sure why they did that have you ever like been like in the front room and tried to watch television on your stomach and then looked up the whole time it's comfy for about a minute and then it's yeah yeah. And then going down the M40 in your McLaren <laughs> Solus, if you were, um, or on a racetrack would be horrible, especially how nauseating it must be at 180 miles an hour in a corner on yeah. your stomach. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't yeah. rid of but did they even entertain trying to make that work? They, they did in for about five minutes because they very quickly realised that if they wanted to make it FIA compliant, there was no way it was going through. So very quickly that fell out of bed. But yeah, so I think problem- they did. My problem with these types of cars is um, really excited, would love to have a go. Clearly, I'd get nowhere near it. Um, you would, Ollie. I wouldn't. But, um, you know, how, how are you supposed to use these things? Is McLaren going to, is there going to be a one-make series? Are there going to be special track days for the owners? Or are they just going to rock up at their local track day with a trailer and pull this thing out and everyone's going to go, all right, show off? Yeah, I'd love to see it being towed to a local track day behind a sort of battered Toyota Land Cruiser, but I don't think it's going to happen. But yeah, it's it's track, track days 
It's owners' track days and things. Pure McLaren. It's Pure McLaren. Pure McLaren days. Where, where all the, the Senna GTE, um, yeah. GTRs and stuff tend to play, because you don't see those at Donington Park on a Wednesday evening either as a track day. But um, anyway, let's move on to the aerial then. Another crazy thing. I still can't quite get my head around what this is. Aerials are mad I, I, by their very existence. I because... just tried to explain to Rowan before we started this what it was, and then I quickly realised I didn't really <laughs> no, understand. I've it had either. it explained to me about eight <laughs> times now. Um Ariel, a company, you know, from Somerset, fueled off cider, and they make very lightweight uh, track cars, which make your jowls do funny things. And we've got our head around those. They're incredibly quick. They get quicker and quicker and quicker. Then they did the Nomad, which was the off-road version. And now this thing, I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, what is it? Well, there's the leading question, isn't it? I think what matters is that it's different. Um, because if you're if you're be- building a conventional hypercar, supercar, or anything else, they all seem to follow, follow a familiar template. They're all that sort of uh, mid-engined look, fro- cab forward, low-slung coupe. This thing just looks like nothing else. Well, it looks like a Batmobile. It looks like the McMurtry a bit. Um, it looks a bit like that Ginetta Cooler that was appeared for a few months of about four or five years ago. And they quickly disappeared. And yeah, they quickly actually, disappeared. That's a good point, yeah. yeah. yeah we meant to, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't know what happened sorry. to that. Um, anyway, so they've got, they've got, yeah, I think they were just looking at a way of trying to communicate that it still looks like a lightweight by giving it sort of virtually not quite their bodywork um, and also making it radically different to anything else that is out there. So um, <laughs> it's just, I, I struggle to get my head around it. I'm not exactly sure what sort of car it is, but I think it it'll appeal to those sort of well, those very wealthy people who have got one of everything else, but they haven't got one of these, and this is very very different to anything else. And it's different because it's got an electric motor for each wheel, but we'll we'll probably see more than that, more of that in the UK in due course. Three hundred horsepower per wheel, so that's twelve hundred horsepower in total. But it's also because they didn't, have, didn't want to fit a big battery pack because they wanted it to be lightweight still, so relatively light at fifteen hundred kilos. They reckon it will be, but that makes it probably the best part of a ton lighter than the Pininfarinas and Rimats of this world. Um, they've given it a range extender, so smaller battery pack, about sixty kilowatt hours, and then it's got a range extender to top up the battery. And that range extender is a jet engine because they worked out the most efficient way. Of giving of a the, of a small light compact energy efficient and energy dense engine is a jet engine, so it's got a jet engine on the back deck. So that's an idea that Jaguar dabbled with with the yeah, CX seventy five, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they yeah Jaguar dabbled with it, never quite got the car into production. We've seen you know the last time anyone talked about jet engines in cars was back in the nineteen fifties and sixties when sort of General Motors prototypes would appear and it was the Chrysler like, like, turbine car, wasn't it? Yeah, there? yeah. And Rover did it run on some, anything. Yeah, and Rover did it for for a land speed car, but it apart from that, it's never really done anything. So, but um, Ariel are now convinced this will work, and the technology is proven. Apparently, the jet runs very, very efficiently, uses very little petrol, um, and can run on anything. So, the idea is long term, it'll run on pump fuel to start with, but the idea is that it will be able to run on hydrogen. So the ah. jet can run on hydrogen. Oh, when you said anything, I was like, oh, Lucasade. Like, yeah, well, Lucasade, yeah. yeah, cheap Anything flammable, yeah. pretty much anything flammable you can shove into a jet engine. Throw it in. You know, your, you know your parents always have a sort of uh, 
spirits cabinet with like the stuff at the back the that they don't drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the brandy from the Greek holiday six years ago. Yeah. Get yeah. that in there. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's just basically when you're a child and you see a fire and you just think, I oh, throw anything in it. That's what basically this jet engine will do. <laughs> but um, uh, jet engines all sound the same. Jet engines sound amazing. It's one yeah. of the best sounds in the world. So anything with a jet on, especially these rich people who don't have certain things, a lot of them don't have jets. They get flown around on them, but they don't ah, have them on their car. Own your yeah, own yeah. jet. Yeah, so they can legitimately go into the country club now and say, I've got a private jet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, they probably have one of those as well, because <laughs> this isn't a cheap car, is it? No, it's not. And when I first spoke to Ariel about this car five years ago was when they sort of announced they were working on it. They were thinking it was going to be around quarter of a million pounds. Now they've revised that figure up and think a full house one, four wheel drive with a jet engine and everything, is going to be knocking on the door of a million quid. So oh. for Ariel to go into that sector, that is an enormous jump. And yeah, they will do cheaper ones, which are just rear wheel drive, probably about 900 horsepower, and without the jet engine, so no range extender. So they'll be the lighter ones, Ooh, but they're still going to be. That one, do you? And you don't want that one. You've got to have the one with the jet. <laughs> so, but they, so they're going to what? be huge money. That is big money. That is big money. But I feel like um, we're getting a bit desensitized to these enormous prices these days. And it actually, Ollie, leads us quite neatly on to uh, a new section we've added to the pod, which is our monthly controversial question. Controversial question. There yeah. we go. We'll have to. Can we sample that? Yeah, yeah. That was spot on. That's a jingle. So, and it's our hypercars becoming irrelevant um you know there was a time when the veyron came along and it was uh, you know a thousand horsepower and a, and a million quid and we were like wow blew our minds but these days it seems like every day there's something that's two million quid three million quid and and um and i suppose the question is are these hypercars actually adding anything in terms of fun and driving dynamics that you can't get in the kind of normal supercar arena if you like for 200 250 grand what do you think uh no i'm i'm with you on this i don't think they are adding a great deal i think you've i mean to a certain extent supercars and supercars now hypercars have always been a slight irrelevance but if you look back to sort of the 70s and 80s and you look at how what they did and what they a role what role they served i guess they were they were the most they were the exotic things that people looked at but they also had a role they could get you somewhere very quickly indeed they could they looked exotic they were a bit more exciting but as supercars have got faster and faster and faster and faster hypercars have got less room to play in so they're trying to do more exotic things in a, in a way that just appeals to a more an exotic audience and that, that whole thing about supercars were designed they were primarily a european thing so they're designed for a european audience these cars now are global cars and they repeat they don't just appeal to europeans they appeal to people from around the world who have different takes on what makes them special or useful or different so it's it's a really difficult one but i it's a question of how you use them and sure, in my sure. and in in my head these cars are becoming narrower band of how you can use it and it's basically the mo the biggest use case for them now is how well they get through a city or what they do in a city because it's it's about people looking at them it's about being on the mediterranean coast with them it's about being seen in them and possibly posting stuff on social media with them than it is about enjoying the drive of them yeah and it, 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 do you know i i got to thinking about this driving the 296 gtb recently which is monstrously quick you know almost too quick on a on a full-size 
racetrack um, and just beautifully developed, looks fantastic. And you're kind of thinking, all right, so that's 240 before options, mm. something like that, um, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, for a car that is as fast as you'll ever need, it can play around, it can do all these things, it looks good. So you're sort of like, so where's the extra one, you know, two million quids worth of value coming? It's just in, I suppose, rarity, the fact that, you know, well, showing was, off value. The whole thing trinkets. came about, you know, 20 years ago is that there needs to be a new definition that took it into that new world. And when the Veyron came along, that was it. You know, a million quid and then you started getting four-figure horsepower figures. It was out of the realm of supercars. But then that golf has just got wider. Well, And then it started, everyone bought them. and They were initially a hard sell, but everyone started buying it. And then when car companies saw that people would spend millions of pounds on a car they started producing more of them and then the supercars had to catch up to those figures and now i just think we're in a bit of a weird cycle and like you say anyone who gets into the entry level 296 and says that's not fast enough yeah is mad because yeah. you really have to hang on and it's you're right it's all you ever need and it's interesting actually you look at ferrari strategy so the um daytona sp3 so that's not actually uh, in terms of performance, you know, it's about 800 horsepower, but it's not got a hybrid, but they're charging, you know, over 2 million quid for it because it's it's rare and it's it's built in a few numbers and it's supposed to evoke, you know, these uh, sports prototypes from the past. So I think they they may have realized we can't just keep adding 500 horsepower and, and, and charging more money. And don't you forget- have to get a bit more creative. Yeah. But and also don't forget, we're in the dying days of the internal combustion engine. We all know electricity hasn't yet proved how it's going to sort of fill that gap of noise and excitement and everything else. So I think it's a lot of companies just piling in while they still can, giving them these outrageous engines while they still can and sending, right, OK, off you go. Well, we've got to make hay with this while we can, because soon we won't be able to do stuff like that. Great time to be alive, isn't it? It is. Great I can't time. afford any of them, but I'm going to drive them anyway. But so. there's some uh, some sensational combustion engines out there. I mean, we've talked about a, a few of them here, the McLaren Solus and um, Ferrari, of course. But um, Ollie, we'll have to leave it there. Lots to chew on, um, but that was fantastic. Catch you soon. Okay, see you guys. Bye. Thanks, Ollie. Cheers. Right, I think it's time for a little bit of Paul Horrell. What do you think? That's what I need. I need that pickup after uh, that long drive and my tired eyes. I need Paul Horrell to wake me up. Yeah, it was all that thinking with the controversial question as well. We got dangerously close to making a point. We didn't quite hit it, though, but here is a man who can hit a point within 60 seconds. Exactly. So this is the bit where we get Mr. Horrell. um, We give him 60 seconds to explain something really quite complicated. And I can guarantee that we haven't shown him this in advance um, it, he's coming to this completely cold. Um, yeah, I, completely cold is a cruel and unusual punishment. You visit on me every week. Yes. But also, this I think this could be a bit of a curveball as well. So you could see him floundering. Yeah. Okay. If you just want to get start revving your engines up, Paul, um, Mr. Horncastle will tell you what the topic is. Yeah. So this month, Paul, we would like to know why is Aston Martin always so close to bankruptcy? Go. My theory about this is that uh, people buy car companies essentially out of vanity and they can be particularly vain with Aston Martin because there's all this ridiculous hokum around the James Bond caper. So they think that by buying Aston Martin, they will be walking into the casino in Monte Carlo and uh, breaking the bank. In fact, it's, of course, the opposite. The bank breaks them. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> there just isn't. There's not enough demand for the kind of cars that Aston Martin makes, and particularly uh, because of the vanity of the people who own the company, there isn't enough self scrutiny. Um, over the years, most of the people who've owned the company have um, basically been so happy to be in that position that they have uh, been content with second best. The cars just aren't quite good enough. Whenever you compare um, on the road, an Aston Martin with the equivalent Ferrari, the Ferrari just wins. Um, there was an interesting recent interlude when they went uh, into public ownership. And in many ways, they had some good, you know, some good uh, credentials behind them because uh, Andy Palmer is a man. I'll have to stop you there. there. That is 60 seconds. I had to stop. Okay, you were just about to. I think you're about to line the each CEO up and in turn. No, we, we and, were on. Uh, no, we were on an absolute pivot, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, we were. I could have gone for. I could have gone for major libel or major boosterism. <laughs> either would have caused, or either would have caused internet meltdown among the comment stream. So you know, just to leave it hanging there really was like the ending of an episode of The Arts. I, I bumped into former CEO of Aston Martin, Andy Palmer, at um, the Starbucks drive-through in South Mims last week. As you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, no, he very much. He does. He very much keeps it real. He stayed in the Midlands. He hasn't gone off to the south of France. I was. You know, I was. What was he driving? He was in a Cupra Born, I think. It could have been what? him. Yeah. Yeah. But he does have a selection of Aston Martin assets that he took with him. But I, actually, I should stop now because I, I am also on the teetering edge of liable. So uh, this one may have to be cut out. I think we've navigated this one successfully. Um, that was fantastic, uh, and. We all now know not to send you on any Aston Martin Ferrari twin tests because it's a foregone conclusion, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I can remember several of those things. And, yeah, it's just embarrassing. And the other thing is that the readership uh, and the internet commentership are also, you know, they've also bought into the same thing that the company can do no wrong. And once you start thinking you can do no wrong, you start doing wrong, big style. There you go. Wise words from Paul Horrell there. I'm going to get that embroidered into a cushion for my house. I'm going to get it tattooed on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, you've been a delight as always. Bye. Right, Mr. Ricks, what else have we got going on in the issue? There's quite a lot of features as ever and a real diverse mix there is so uh what have we got we got a studio shoot um a very lovely studio shoot in fact by wilson hennessy um written by paul horrell about the new limited run bentley batter so this is their sort of latest coach built special if you like that they're charging millions of pounds for what are your thoughts on that uh kind of doesn't look different enough but i think that's what bentley customers want uh, they don't want anything too radical and, you know, out there. Uh, they just want rarity in cars that they can brag about. And uh, Work's already been, well, he's been to the top of Mount Etna before in a Fiat Panda 4x4, but now he's taken one of the most extreme school buses, the Torsus, to the top of Mount Etna. I think he might have a little holiday cottage at the top of Etna because he keeps going up there. But um, no, so it's a wonderful story. It's a bizarre landscape, sort of looks like. The surface of the moon once you're up there. So check that out. Um, And just on the Bentley thing, I also uh, spent some time learning how to drive the continuation blower, which was, I have to say, a spectacular morning. It's not like driving any other car. Double D clutching, um, just turning the thing on is a bit of a challenge. And it was about 8 a.m. with jet lag in California. But once you're up and running, 
I've never had so much fun at 20 miles an hour. Has it got a USB port? Uh, two. Ah. Yeah, USB-C, actually. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1920s USB-C going on there. And uh, also one of the most... Well, everyone may have seen on the news, if you watch the news, uh, lots of white Toyotas around the world. And I love this story. Ollie Marriage went to the place where they're all made, which is in Gibraltar, uh, to the home of uh, white Toyotas being made into ambulances, uh, aid vehicles, etc. And it's just the the behind-the-scenes work of one of the most fascinating car dealerships you've you've seen a lot of but never heard of. If you've ever seen a white Toyota on the news helping someone, it's come from this place. It's a fantastic story. And then finally... Uh, the EV6 GT. So this is the 500 horsepower plus version of the Kia EV6. And we did what else but raced it against a train, Sam Burnett, uh, against his wife. So his wife takes like She's a train t- driver. <laughs> I don't know. She might be. Um, but no, she's French. Oh. Um, but no, she prefers to take the train. Sam prefers to drive. So they went their separate ways to the south of France and argued, basically, which is, which is a great read. But the story I want to talk about is the cover story. The AMG1, the F1 engine hypercar we've been waiting so long to drive. So Chris Harris uh, uh, drove it. Uh, they filmed a, a film for the uh, Top Gear TV show, which will be on your TVs around October time in the in the new series. But our own Ollie Q was there to, uh, well, to, to absorb it, to, to generally get in the way. Um, and I've just got one question for you, Ollie. Does it work? Uh, not in our hands. It may work in other people's, (laughs) but in the most British piece of luck I've ever seen, it worked when AMG were setting the car up. It worked when other journalists and such like had a go. But when Chris's turn came and they turned on the, you know, many, many TV cameras and sent up the actual helicopter, it broke down. Hang on, hang on. A real helicopter. Have they heard of drones? Yeah, I thought that the BBC's budget only allowed to stretch the drones, but I distinctly remember John Richards, the director, saying, are we on comms with the heli pilot? Now, I assume that means a proper chopper, not someone, you know, not a kid flying a PlayStation with wings on it. No, but there was a genuine chopper there because I uh, have seen the shots. But so what was the deal with the day then? We got, we were, is it the Nürburgring GP, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. We're at the Nürburgring Grand Prix circuit, not the Nürburgring Nürburgring, not the Nordschleife, not the big one that goes through the forest, but the actual Grand Prix circuit where they sometimes host the F1. And we had not one, but two AMG ones. And the idea was that Chris Harris would bowl in from the TV show. They'd bolt him in. The engineers would brief him and then he would work his way up through the modes for this Formula One engines road car starting off in the road mode then sort of amping it up and finally ending in the fabled strat 2 mode which is the incredibly nerdy name they've copied off the formula one car it's your qualifying mode it gives you all 1049 horsepower it empties out the battery in one lap but it gives you supposedly the ultimate amg experience um and it was all set for to be yeah this mind-blowing experience but um yeah, then the error code started flashing up and some very, very worried guys with laptops started um, chuckling away in German saying, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, but he did get a go. He did get a go. This is a really interesting, uh, important point to make. Um, I implore you to buy a copy of the magazine and read Chris Harris's story because it is um, that rare thing. It's a really beautifully written, but a warts and all story of a day that didn't go 
particularly well um, when you've got an, an entire TV film to shoot, you've got a magazine cover story to photograph. Um, uh, you know, from MG's point of view, it was a, a bit of a disaster. But I, when I spoke to him, I said, did, did it work? Did it work properly at all? Yes, it did. He got some flat out laps in it. He got to experience yeah, anything, it. Yeah. He missed what he missed was basically building up to it. So it's kind of a credit to Chris that he didn't really get the familiarization laps. He didn't really get to ramp up through the modes. What he got was quick. It's working. Get in, put it in the most hardcore downforce, the most outrageous powertrain and go flat out. And I think that is that takes major, major cojones to go. Right. Here's a thousand and fifty horsepower F1 car for the road. I've never driven. I've got TV camera. I've got helicopter up there. We've got dying light. We've got minutes left on our track schedule. And yeah. I'm just going to send it and see what happens. And yeah, he did get to feel what it was like at full chat, which, well, only 275 owners will ever have the opportunity. And I wonder how many of them would ever bother to see so. Well, that's the AMG did say no one has got in that car and driven it that hard, like at all straight away. So, uh, but also if there's one man that you need to do exactly that of having time pressures and just being able to drive the the, the skin off a car, it is Chris. Yeah. So, uh, but you have, have you been around an AMG one before? Did it impress you? What, what did you take away from being around a car, that car for a day? I mean, yeah, I don't want to jump down on AMG here, but I assumed the car was, the car was pretty rough and ready around some of the edges. There was exposed wiring. There was cabling that looked a little bit unfinished. And I said to, 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 to Marcus, the, the chief, the project lead of the, of the AMG one of the vehicle, You'll know him from the YouTube behind the scenes video. Um, I was said, oh, is this a pre-production car? Is this kind of unfinished? And he said, no, no, this is this is customer spec. And it was a kind of hasty backpedal of, oh, it's very, um, very raw, isn't it? To be fair, that was probably that was probably an engineer's uh, customer spec in terms of yeah. the engines producing the right amount of power, the 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 motors, the the modes, the ECUs, blah blah yeah. blah blah. And blah. It, to be fair to it, the inside, the fit and finish inside is. S-Class levels. You know, it's all beautifully trimmed. The graphics on the screen are fantastic. There's loads of great attention to detail with, you know, the, the how you set up the modes inside. Just the steering wheel itself is worthy of sitting on your mantelpiece. But when you look over your shoulder, it is just a nest of pipes and high pressure, you know, bits and bobs of, of pipe work, of plumbing and an F1 engine that when you take the engine cover off, it's not been dressed up. It's not all polished carbon fiber and gold and kind of Pagani spec jewelry. It's a proper bit of industrial witchcraft going on under there. Well, let's just just rewind a little bit because there may be a few people listening to this going, what on earth are they talking about? So um, let's go back to the, 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 the concept of this idea. What is it? What was the idea that AMG had? And and they have now eventually brought it through to production. Um, yeah. In a nutshell, Mercedes, as anyone who's watched any Formula One over the past, you know, since 2014 will know, Mercedes have dominated the hybrid V6 era of Formula One, you know, with Lewis Hamilton and, you know, with Nico Rosberg's title as well. They've taken, I think it's eight straight constructors titles. They wanted to celebrate that. They wanted to have a, a road car link to that to prove that it's not all been just money for racing, that you can actually buy a slice of that. So they decided to take a 1.6 litre turbocharged v6 engine with hybrid supplementation and put it in a street legal car this was announced at the frankfurt motor show in october 2017 and the target was then that the car would be on sale in 2019 it said it would take two years then it got delayed 
Then there was a worldwide pandemic. Then there was a parts shortage. In the meantime, Dr. Zetcher, the CEO of Mercedes, left. Uh, Tobias Merz, the CEO of AMG, left, went to Aston Martin and left there as well. You know, Ola Kalenius, <laughs> the new CEO of Mercedes, has gone on the record at a board meeting saying the entire board of Mercedes-Benz was drunk when they signed off the AMG one because it is so complex to get an AMG, you know, to get an F1 engine that wants to redline at 15,000 RPM and idle at 5,000 to just to not catch fire, let alone to pass your emissions tests and to pass the same, uh, you know, toughness and NVH requirements that a normal Mercedes-Benz has. It had to go through all of those same, that same boot camp. And they have all just, you know, I think there's a lot of engineers whose hair has turned white and whose marriages are in a dreadful state now because they have put in <laughs> serious hours to get this thing. And it's even more complicated than an F1 car because it also has electric motors driving the front axle and it has to have air conditioning and it has Apple CarPlay and it has Bluetooth. Why? I've no idea because you can't hear yourself think inside it, let alone have a chat about the football results. But it does now work and they are now got, they have now got them in build. And I think the funniest line of the day was uh, Marcus, the project lead, turning around and saying, yes, the car's running three years late, but for the first time ever, we're actually ahead of schedule now because we told the customers they'd have their cars in September and some are going to get them in August. Oh, happy days. You know, they'll be delighted after waiting an extra, what, three years. Yeah, two, 2.4 million pounds, four-wheel drive, 1,049 horsepower, about 1,700 kilos, two seats. You can't move the seats. You have to move the steering wheel and the pedals electrically. It's a Mercedes after all. Loads of downforce and a kind of group C body over the top. It is, in my opinion, the most complicated car that has ever existed. And they, they, they deserve credit for it. It's a really interesting conflict, though, because basically, on paper, I am so happy this car exists. It's The world would be so boring if every idea that was hard stayed on the whiteboard in the in the brainstorm meeting you know they put the might of their company behind this and through sheer you know force of will made it through to production i'm glad it exists i'm glad they uh, glad they had a crack but at the same time it does appear to be just too complicated we were talking earlier about where the hypercars were becoming a bit irrelevant um and you know if that 2.4 million quid um was parked up next to a 296 in in the pit lane. From what I've heard, I haven't I haven't driven the MG1. You're going to have more fun in the 296, um, and it's probably going to work more of the time. So you're sort of getting to this point where it, it it's an engineering exercise. It's wonderful that. It, 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 the world is a better place for having it in it, but it's not the ultimate driving machine. You, yeah, and the, at time you've got to push boundaries, and they were pushing boundaries big time here. Will they do it again? I'm not sure. They're probably looking no. forward to the end of the ICE engine where everything is an electric powertrain and a skateboard chassis and it's simplified massively. Yeah, they 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 won't no one will ever do this again. That's that's for sure. They if you wanted to build the world's fastest car, you wouldn't start from here. It's important to point out that they've not this is not like Mercedes's Bugatti moment. They weren't trying to build the world's fastest car. That the, the awkward fact is if you want to go as quick as an AMG one, for a, you know, a quarter of the money, go and buy a Ferrari SF90, it's got you know, the same power to weight ratio and it costs what, three, 400 grand rather than 2.4 million. It's, it's not supposed to be the last word in performance. It's just, is it possible to put a Formula One car engine on the road? And the answer is yes, but it will cost you billions. And it might not work all the time. Yeah, it might need a, a pick. Well, hopefully they're lying that out. Well, it might not work if you want to drive it properly, which seems to be the case with, with Chris, who took it by the scruff of the neck and the car um, 
promptly um, shat itself. Yeah, but let's just be honest that, that you know, Aston Martin were go- in the same battle. They were against each other with the Valkyrie of trying to get F1 performance on the road and on a track. Uh, and the, they too have struggled sure. and gone through a few CEOs in that time, yeah. one of which came from from this project to another. So it's one out of one bath nightmare to another. And then... Uh, also, you, you have got to remember, there is a, there's a precedent with supercars and hypercars, okay? The ones that tend to come out and be flawed and everyone just throws their hands up and goes, what a complete waste of time, tend to then go down in history as some of the greatest ever. Like, for example, you know, the McLaren F1 at the time didn't sell very well. Everyone said, this is ridiculous. This is too expensive. It's, you know, Gordon Murray's lost the plot. It's now the most valuable car ever. You've got, you know, stuff like even like an XJ220. You know, at the time, why is Jackie were doing this? Oh, it used to be a V12. Now it's a V6. Everyone, what a waste of time. And then these things come good over time. And we start to go, actually, that's very, very special. It's very of its time. But it's a very, very cool exercise. And just like Jack's saying, we're, we're glad to have it. And also the link to Heritage and F1 is massive later down the line. And, you know, this is Lewis Hamilton's championship winning engine in the back of a road car that, you know, his legacy as well will go on. And that's the car. This is the car associated to it. It's just unfortunate after all that dominance, the year that they, they then, then get it out on the streets, Mercedes aren't doing too well in the F1. So tough PR uh, situation to manoeuvre around there. Cool. Well, since we've got you, Ollie, shall we move on to our uh, our little pub quiz, the Top Gear Top Nine? Uh, we do this each month. Ollie writes the top nines for the mag and online, <laughs> among other stuff. I should mention it's not a full time <laughs> it's not a full time gig. Um, and so we have a little competition each month. Um, he tells us a topic of a top nine list he's put together. Ron and I get three guesses each, and we keep a rough score. Um, so, Ollie. What's the topic? But you know, I like there to be a, a seamless link between what we've just been talking about and the top nine. So speaking about the AMG One having lovely graphics inside, I'm looking for the top nine coolest instrument displays. However, this is one that I did write a long while ago, so the AMG One isn't on there. But yeah, interesting instrument instrument displays in cars. What do we think? Does Bra- that include brackets, dials then? Brackets according to Ollie Q. According to Ollie yeah, Q, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, according to my correct opinion, the coolest <laughs> dials, displays, you know, what lives behind the steering wheel in your car? It seems to be an arms race now for designers to show off. Right. You go first. Me first. Okay, I'm going to start. Um, uh, I think I'll start with the Tesla Model S. And the reason for that is it kind of was the first one that just said, hang on, you don't need any buttons at all. You could just have an enormous screen uh, and, and be done with it. Wait, hold on. I'm, but the, the display isn't behind the steering wheel there. This isn't a, is this yeah, an Jack, instrument. That's an, that's, an, that's an infotainment screen. That's not an instrument screen. I'm going to... Hang on. Uh, does, the, does the Tesla have one behind the wheel? No. Does the Model S have one behind the wheel? No, that's the Model 3 that doesn't have one behind the steering wheel. Hang on. Does, the the Model the S does have an instrument pod then? Yes, it has an instrument pod behind the steering Can wheel. Can I have the Model 3, please? No, I've got to accept your first answer. That's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Straight out of the blocks with a complete Damn. fail. <laughs> uh, right, well, I'm going to kick it off. You've gone straight for something very contemporary. Go on. It, it was the madness of, uh, well, in the 70s and 80s, everyone was just trying to do jazzy stuff. Citroen. Mm. Loved a bit of wackiness. Yeah. And I'm going to go the Citroen BX, which just had a crazy, if you've ever seen Knight Rider, it had basically that sc- uh, screen behind the steering wheel. Um, so I'm going to go Citroen BX because it just looks like an 80s computer game. Mm-hmm. 
He's smiling. It's controversial. I'm going to give it to you as a correct answer. Ooh. I went for the Citroen CX, but they were very, very similar. Jack, I hope they'll allow what, this. A bit but... like the Model S and the Model 3. <laughs> <laughs> different no, different models model... from the same company. There's nothing but fresh air behind a Model 3 steering wheel. You know, I, get it, I, get it, I get it. I get it. I get that. I've Yes, I've messed up. But yeah, the Citroen, you had that classic massive steering wheel, single spoke, the perfect view, and behind it, just a load of bonkers lights, probably all the warning lights on at any given moment. Sorry, Citroen fans. But um, yeah, very, very cool. Looks dated now, but still somehow manages to look like the future. Point to Rowan. 1-0. Yeah, that's fine. I, I am capable turn. of keeping that score. Uh, I'm going to go with the original Mini because it's got the... Uh, oh, no. Uh, no, I think I've got it wrong again. Hang on. Hang on. What are you looking at on your screen? Are I'll, you I'll, cheating, Jack Rick? No, no. When you, when you say the topic, I write down some ideas off the top of my head. Oh, I just got off the dome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what's I your answer then? It's yeah. on Google Images. No, I've realised that I'm basically con confusing instrument clusters with uh, with uh, dials in the middle of the wheel. Um, let's go with the Lamborghini Reventon, which was basically completely obsessed with being a fighter jet to the point of having, you know, these dot matrix graphics and everything in front of you. That's more like it. Correct answer for Jack Ricks there. The Murcielago that thought it was a fighter jet. Yeah, the rev counter and the speedo looked like sort of you were getting missile lock on, you know, Gordana services. No idea what they were playing at, but fair play to Lamborghini for, <laughs> for the imagination there. So, yeah, finally, Jack, you're off the mark with a point. Finally, I've only had two guesses. One out of two. Go on, Ro. Right. Uh, this one actually was brought in the news recently with... You went to see it, the new Conan's Egg with the crazy, um, oh. Uh, oh, the, the Yesco. No, not the Yesco, the other one. My mind's gone blank. Well, the worst CC850. CC850, yeah. which is just a reinterpretation of their original car, mm -hmm. uh, which is the CC10. No, what was it? Oh, I'm confused now. You mean the CC? That was the first Koenigsegg, and then there was the CCS and the CCR. Yes, but it was the CCR. Anyway, one of them, I'm praying, um, the dials were all matched together because it's meant to be like a Swiss watch movement where the speedo and the revs and everything was all combined within one uh, one housing. And then they all did crazy things at the same time. I really hate it when you come up with one that sounds really, really cool and it's not on the list. Sorry, bro, an incorrect answer. Oh, no. Yeah. Not on, oh. I haven't explained it very well name. either. This is what happens when you go off the top of your dome, Jack, rather yeah. than write them down. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's um, Google it afterwards. Sorry, well, Koenigsegg nice. are one of the masters, certainly, of, yeah. But actually, you've given me a mayhem. good idea for my final guess, because if, if it wasn't that Koenigsegg, maybe it is the Yesco. And the reason I would say the Yesco, it's got this amazing instrument um, pod that is a, essentially attached to the steering wheel. So as you rotate the wheel, the, the cluster comes with you, but is self-leveling. So even if you've got a full half a turn of lock on, uh, and the screen's upside down, the display will be the right way up. Are you just so saying this because you drove a Koenigsegg Yesco very recently and no one else has? Yeah, thanks for mentioning it. Yeah. Mate. Thanks for bringing it up. So I don't I mean, think I it's going to be on the list. Yeah, go on. I feel seasick just thinking about that. This sort of wobbling <laughs> It actually display, works. But... Honestly, I thought, yeah, what a gimmick. But uh, it's fantastic. I thought, yeah. what a gimmick as I sat there in the Koenigsegg Yesco. <laughs> twang. <laughs> Jack. I wrote this a while ago. You've driven the Yesco since. I'm sorry, mate. It's not on the list. It's an incorrect answer. To be honest, the Yesco was revealed in 20... When was the Geneva Motors... When was the start of the pandemic? 2019? Or 20? 2020 was the pandemic. 19 was the last normal Geneva show yeah. where the Yesco was revealed. 
Yes, but that was the Geneva show that was cancelled. Remember? No, I don't remember. No, it's it because they gave us they gave us the beer on the stand. I remember it's 2019. Right. Yeah. That's when we. That's when the display was revealed. Audiences, you may notice that all of us are a bit tired having done a week of speed week. So uh, yeah, our brains aren't firing on all cylinders with thrumming. But anyway, so that was a no, was it? So what's the score now? One out of three for me. One out of three for you. One out of three. And then this means you can have a rare win here, Rowan, if you nail the last answer. Well, let's see. Um, I've always loved them. TVR displays. uh, Well, I think that what are they in? Well, it was in the Tuscan as well, but I'm going to go for the um, Cigaris. Where the revs, they, the the speed and the revs went in opposing directions, which is ultimately incredibly confusing when you did it. But it looked very, very cool. And as as you fired it up, the ignition on, they ran around the dial in opposite directions like window wipers. So, I know the one you mean. They also missed a zero off all the speeder, didn't they? So it said like five, ten, fifteen. It said the top speed was twenty rather than two hundred, which I always quite like the understatement of. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's no. not the TVR I went for on the list. So it's an incorrect answer. But Ryan, the TVR 8 ball was the Cerbera from the mid-90s because it sort of hung extra dials under the steering wheel. You had you look through the top of the steering wheel to find your revs and your speed and through the bottom to have a clock and a fuel gauge. I mean, that's just completely bonkers and fair play to TVR for, as usual, having no common sense. Hope they come back one day. Rowan, you're marooned on one point. Jack, you're stuck on one point. It's, I would say, honours even, but I don't know if there's any honours saying that one. I've today. just thought of, a, I've just thought of another one. Should we? He's have just a, thought of another one. He's guess? opened his laptop up. Yeah, no, go on. I, look, you can have a look. There's no, there's no window open here. Jack, we all know that you're an absolute champ at minimising laptop windows very quickly. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to take that. Incognito. <laughs> Inco- yeah, incognito, incognito mode. Yeah, let's go. Should we have a fourth guess? Go on then. Lexus what have you just L- thought of? You're not having any points. Lex. LFA, of course, because famously it had um, digital rev counter because the engine revved so quickly that a physical needle couldn't keep up. And it also moved across. So I can help contribute to that point if there's a point, which was very cool. Okay, you can share the points because the LFA was a correct answer on the list. It did have, as Jack rightly says, digi rev counter. As Rowan rightly says, it was motorized. Although, nerd point, if that was so such a fast revving engine that it needed a digi rev counter then why doesn't the Gordon Murray T50 have one? Because its V12 revs even faster than the LFA's V10, and it has a lightweight physical rev counter. And in fact, sorry to mention the Koenigsegg Yesco that I drove uh, again, <laughs> but uh, Christian von Koenigsegg told me that that is the fastest revving production engine anywhere in the world because it doesn't have a flywheel. So it's it's something like 0.7 of a second uh, from well, zero we know- to redline. Shots fired. We know Gordon Murray's a big fan of the Top Gear magazine podcast. So, Gordon, don't take that line down. Let's hear back from you. You can't both be right. Let's have a battle of the brains. Let's go rev. Let's, Let's go, go rev some rev. engines. Anything else? Anything else on the list we didn't cover because... Uh... We missed them all. We missed the goalposts. <laughs> quite. I thought one of the biggest game changers of the past decade was the Audi virtual cockpit. You might remember in the TT, they got rid of the central screen in the middle of the dashboard. It was a very selfish interior. Everything lived digitally behind the steering wheel and we all thought oh that's going to be a nightmare and now it's just feels so intuitive so i think fair play to audi they really changed it what about the aston martin lagonda of the 70s probably 30 years ahead of its time but it had a fully digital display as well i think it was it was lcd instruments um, probably only worked you know in a month of sundays but wow was that a spaceship for a time when aston martin was well about to go bankrupt imagine that well Good topic. It loops back to Paul Horrell's argument earlier of uh, why 
uh, Aston Martin is a very tricky business to, yeah. to run. We've covered that. But uh, anyway, that's <laughs> enough. If you want to see the rest of Ollie's um, top nine, go to topgear.com and read the magazine, and they're there. And in the review section or on the comments, let us know what your favourite uh, instrument display is. And I think that's enough of that. So, Ollie Q, see you next month. I'll be the same. Cheers, Ollie. Okay, that's probably quite enough uh, for this month. But before we go, I just want to make a special appeal for uh, you, the listener, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a star review, leave a comment, let us know what you think, let us know what you want us to include in the future. Yeah, we're, we're open ears and minds to what we can have on the podcast and the review and comment section is the best place to put it or our email address. But we have had some great reviews, haven't we? Jack, like, oh, do... some absolute corkers. Do you want to hear some? That I've yeah, go on. At? Um, so uh, this one, five out of five. Gabe, thanks, Gabe. Cheers, Gabe. Uh, is uh, the subject is I love this. Um, not sure where this one was going to go. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of it, things you can love in life. So yeah, he keeps it pretty clean. Uh, I absolutely love Top Gear. I have the magazines. I'm love the TV series. 100. percent Ten out of ten. Uh, Can't get better than that. Yeah, I love where my mum. Her spelling and her grammar is not on point there but uh, this next one is from Waveform uh, it says Top Gear Gold great podcast with excellent presenters and very good conversations interestingly Waveform that's the name of Marquez Brownlee's podcast is it? is that Marquez just giving us a little props little on the it's good shout we know. got it from the finest thanks yeah. Marquez we'll leave a comment on the, on yours after great, this great presenters great conversation and finally um, this is from Beefy Cardigan uh, it says Top Gear, very interesting for all ages. Yeah, we're we're going from the 18th month year old to the 86 year old and above. So yeah, we're, we're wide demographic that we can cover. But uh, yeah, we're there for everyone. And Beefy Cardigan, if you want to uh, leave us the reason behind your username there, please don't do it in the comments section. Yeah, because it's I do the hope there's, show. There, there, yeah, there's a, there's a vegan alternative to Beefy Cardigans <laughs> as well because uh, you know, on trend to to get out in the meat game. So yeah, keep your cardigan for the for the winter. Okay, so, uh, and now for the regular plugs. So don't forget to check out topgear.com for all your rolling car news and reviews and anything else we can find on the internet. Um, email us at, we need to get these up as well. More Our emails. Email. Yeah, more emails, please. Podcast at bbctopgearmagazine.com. Let us know what you think. And we might even read a few of them out. And we've got the normal social media services as well with our TikTok being oh. on fire. We've had to ice down the servers. My thumb <laughs> has gone viral starting up in McLaren SLR for the everyone on TikTok. Yeah. So we've got... Is uh, it but, the first time your thumb's gone viral? <laughs> as a, I think so. There, there was a video from, from university. Yeah, there, we'll get that, out of that yeah, one. Yeah, 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 let's swerve around that. Okay. And uh, then, yeah, social media. So we've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and also the YouTube channel. God, we're pumping content out of there. We are. Uh, what a rate. Yeah, what a rate. There's some brilliant videos to check out uh, based on the stuff we've been babbling on about. So uh, a behind-the-scenes video from the AMG One shoot um, presented by Ollie Q featuring Chris Harris. Um, Ollie Marriage's McLaren Solus video and also his aerial hypercar Yeah, video. drive with that. That's an exclusive, so you only see it on our channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it while it's hot. And of course... Um, as it says in the name of this podcast, you can always pop to the shops or order one online, uh, get your copy of the magazine. Yeah. And we'll see you next month for the Speed Week special, but I'm going to go to bed first. I'm yeah, not good. I need to sleep for a month. Yeah. I'll see you then. All right. Cheers. Cheers.